0: Our Bible reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 4, reading verses 18 to 22. And it's Jesus calls his first disciples. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said.
1: This morning, we are starting a new series. We're starting a series that um, leads us to Easter, because Easter is not far away. It's, uh, it's come very quickly, hasn't it? Um, and this story, this, uh, this series is going to be four weeks' worth of a series. It'll include Good Friday as well. Uh, and we will be uh, looking at, at, at the life of Jesus, walking with Jesus, because Jesus, on his journey uh, to the cross, can teach us a lot. Uh, we're not going to just look at uh, the, uh, the, the last week or anything like that. We're going to look at parts in Jesus' life where he spoke to his disciples and he chatted to them and he shared little bits of information with them. And my hope is that we are able to learn from that as we go towards the cross ourselves. Now, if, if I was to say to you right now to drop everything and follow me, I'm not going to tell you where we're going to go, but drop everything and follow me. I'm half tempted to actually do this. Half tempted. (laughs) More than half tempted. (laughs) How do you feel when I start saying that? Drop everything now and follow me. How do you feel? Does anyone want to yell out their their immediate response? Goodbye, Peter. Peter. (laughs) Any other responses? Am I Jesus? Well, I think you figured out out <laughs> already. Is. I'm, not, I'm not, good, good call, good call. It's a daunting thing, it's a drop everything and follow me. Where are you going to take us, Pete? Where are you going to take us? Now, I'm always, I, when I go to concerts, we go to a fair few concerts, Lara. and I, when I go to concerts and the, 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 the musicians up the front, they start doing the, well, and the congregation, well. I thought I'm going to try that. I've always wanted to do that. So I, I'm going to see if I've got actually anyone that will follow, Okay. So I'm not going to do it with my voice because that'll just be a disaster. We'll do it by clapping. So, so pen, if you've got, I've said pens down. That's, that's a teacher thing, isn't it? <laughs> I'm just assuming you're all writing notes. That's what I'm assuming. <laughs> all right. I'm going to clap. And if you're, if you're a, f- a follower, a good follower, you'll clap with me, all right? All right. Now it just sounds like you're clapping for me, so thank you. (laughs) Now, Trelawney, said, I'm not Jesus. I'm not Jesus at all, and I don't expect you to drop everything and follow me. But today's reading, that's exactly what we heard, wasn't it? It's what we hear. Jesus says, drop everything and follow me. Men with a solid job stream, a good, honest living, drop everything and follow me. And it seems they did it without question. I suppose that question needs to be asked of ourselves today. Are we willing to follow Jesus in the same way? Are we willing to follow Jesus in that way? In the reading from Matthew 4 we heard today, we heard the calling of these first disciples. They were Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew's brother. They were the first two. And they were fishermen. They were not, get your esky full, go down to the local lake, put the bait on a hook, sit back for a few hours and not really worry about whether the fish are biting as you just chat with your mates. they so not that sort of fishermen. These are the serious fishermen. These are, we better catch a haul of fish, otherwise we're not going to be able to sell them and we are not going to have any food for our, our dinner. They're the type of thing. But I know we've got some serious fishermen in this church. Uh, I know there are some in it, but none quite as serious as me. I, uh, I caught a fish, no, I kid you not, this fish, let's go. And you want to know how I caught that fish? I didn't use a rod. I didn't use a rod. I stepped out in the ocean. I grabbed the thing. <laughs> I pulled it in. And that's my fish. True story. True story. You can ask Larry. True story. And is it isn't actually a true story. Uh, <laughs> because because uh, it was bobbing along in the water, and someone had actually caught it in a fishing competition, and, uh, and they didn't pull it right in. But we saw this thing bobbing around in the water. So I, I jumped in and I grabbed it. And i like, look at my fish. That's pretty cool. <laughs> but I'm not that serious a fisherman. But <laughs> that's a good story. Um, but this was their career. This was their job. This was their livelihood. It's what they did. They probably took over from their fathers or they would take over from their fathers. We see in James and John as the, the sons of Zebedee. They had Zebedee, their dad, in their boat fishing with them. And you'd assume that in time they'll take over the family business. In our culture... Our jobs maybe don't hold that much weight all the time as they did back then. That defined a lot of who they were. These men's livelihoods revolved around their jobs. But saying that, in today's culture, we're known by what we do a little bit as well. If I was to say, hey, tell me something about yourself. Most people would say something like this. Well, I'm Pete and I'm the pastor of Kilsyth South Baptist Church. You you probably won't say that. I'll say that. You sort of introduce yourself by your name and what you do, don't you? A lot of of us do that. It's just a, a natural response, name and what we do. And in many ways, our roles define who we are. Our jobs are what hold us as our identity. Our positions are what define us as either successful, powerful, lucky, maybe what defines us as uh, standing in society. In our story, we have these fishermen. That's how we've defined them. They're fishermen. They cast their nets and they bring the fish in. And then along comes Jesus. Perhaps they've heard of Jesus already. Perhaps they heard about his baptism. Maybe not. Maybe word got around. But Jesus sees them. It's not the other way around. They don't see Jesus. Jesus sees them and jesus speaks to them they don't go and speak to jesus jesus speaks to them and jesus says follow me they don't go to jesus and say hey i've heard about you can i follow you jesus asks them jesus only says a few words in this dialogue but his words are pertinent aren't they follow me and i will make you fish for people i'll make you fishes of men Jesus' four words, uh, five, six, seven, eight words. (laughs) I've got four, four reasons, but four of these words. Gives them a meaning. It gives them a reason to follow. So this morning we're going to go four reasons to follow Jesus. We're going to look at four reasons to follow Jesus. Because after these few words that Jesus said, these men not only followed, but they gave their whole lives to following Jesus. So let's pray and we'll get into those four reasons. Loving God, this morning I pray that as we read your word, as we uh, understand your word, help, it, help us to live it out in our lives. Help us to understand it. And may my words be not my own, but come through you. Amen. So the first reason we should follow Jesus as we look at this uh, text this morning is that Jesus, he redefines who we are. He redefines our identity. We no longer are defined by our role, rather our identity is now encompassed in Christ. No longer are these men just Simon Peter or Andrew the fisherman. They are now Simon Peter and Andrew, followers of Jesus. They're a title that changes them immediately and it tells them something about who they are. They're the ones who follow Jesus. I wonder if Being a follower of Jesus has redefined you in any way. Not that I expect you to give up your jobs and follow Jesus around a countryside or anything like that. You might. But do you allow your job or your role or your status to define who you are? Or are you defined by who you follow? Now, in Jesus' time, many people followed the rabbi, the teacher, the wise one. And following a rabbi meant that you'd learn from them. You grow in understandings of their ways and their teaching. You become like them. And hopefully down the track one day you'll be able to teach the ways of the rabbi that you learnt from him. And so today we're all followers of something, aren't we? We can be followers of a sports team, go Maggies. We can be followers of the news. We can be followers of the stock market. We can be followers of someone on Twitter. And we can hear the 50... 50 um, spaces of what they say in their life we can be followers but can we learn their ways can we learn to follow um, someone on twitter and know how to live a better life because of it a lot of what we follow now is about gathering information gathering information about someone But does it really change our life? Does it really change our identity? As a first century rabbi, Jesus had followers, as did all the other rabbis. However, most of it was that the followers would seek out this rabbi for this learning relationship. The rabbi wouldn't seek out the follower. Jesus goes and seeks this relationship for himself. He goes looking for his followers from unusual places. Not the synagogues where you might expect the sort of ...would-be disciples to be. But he goes to the shores of the seas and he finds fishermen. He goes to the tax booths and finds the tax collectors. He goes finding people that maybe were not the people that you'd think. He's not looking for someone who looked the part... ...who got the best uh, score on the synagogue entrance exam. He just went out and looked for ordinary people. Jesus is looking for ordinary people who are willing to follow... That's what Jesus is looking for. Ordinary people who are willing to follow. In the first century, following Jesus meant leaving your career, leaving your family, leaving your possessions, and becoming this follower, a disciple. It was a full-time endeavor. It was not something that you sort of just dipped in and dipped out of. It was a new life. It was a new beginning. Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they were all willing to follow. When they heard that call, they were willing to respond. And within that response, they bought a new identity. Your identity is no longer based in your job or what you do. Rather, it's based in God himself. Jesus said his baptism hasn't actually done anything uh, at that time. He hadn't done any miracles. He hadn't performed any healings. He hadn't done anything. He hadn't done any of his great speeches. At that stage in his baptism, he was just a carpenter. Yet in the baptism, the heavens open and the voice comes down and says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. God's words weren't caught up in the great feats of Jesus, what Jesus has done. They weren't caught up in what Jesus had done. Rather, they were about Jesus' position in the kingdom of God. You're my son. That's your identity. I'm pleased with that. I wonder if we live in that space, that all we do comes back to those words You are my son, you are my daughter, I'm pleased with you. I'm pleased with you. What does that mean for how we live? Well, it means we don't have to go around trying to impress people with the things that we do. Because we understand that what we do is a byproduct of who we are, of this new identity that we have in Christ. We've been given gifts and abilities that are very unique to us, but they're not defining us. We're defined by being a child of God, first and foremost. So after calling these disciples, it doesn't take long for Jesus to start to set out these expectations of what a person who follows him will look like. Directly after he asked these disciples to follow him, in in Matthew chapter 4, it says verse 23 he starts moving throughout galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people that's what happened straight after he started to speak out and to live out the things that he was teaching see following jesus wasn't uh was 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 now this new identity and it meant going out and living it out as well Then Jesus moves on to the very next section in Matthew, and he shares with them what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. He shares with them and a whole crowd that are gathered in his Sermon on the Mount. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers, those who are persecuted for righteousness. This is what you should be like. And he goes on through his sermon to his disciples how to act in various situations. Love your enemies. This is what it means to be identified as a follower of Jesus. He teaches us to pray. Don't pray like the hypocrites who sort of stand up and pray these big ones. Just pray in secret. This is what it means to be a disciple. So Jesus sets out this great sermon packed with practical doctrine, all for the sake of helping his followers understand what this new identity really means. You want to know what it looks like to be a Jesus follower? Know that first and foremost, you're a child of God. What does that look like? Read it in the scriptures. Display it. Listen to what Jesus tells us we should look like. Because my identity is not lodged deep into my workplace or the giftings that I have. I no longer need to be the mechanic or a nurse or a uni student or the organist at my lodge. That's the things that I do. Rather, who I am is now tied into a new identity, one that is based upon being a child of God and the teachings and values of Jesus Christ himself. I don't think you can see it any more clearly when Jesus calls the sons of the second lot of brothers, John and James. The sons of Zebedee, who have been in this fishing boat with their father, Zebedee. They are part of the family business. And we have to assume that because they are in the boat with their father, their father and they had a close relationship. This was a, a family thing. It was a culture where family was identity. I am Zebedee, I am a fisherman. I am James, I'm the son of Zebedee, who was a fisherman. So family name was important. They were likely the ones that were going to take on Zebedee's business when he got too old and couldn't do it anymore. Yet Jesus calls them, and they immediately left their boat and their father and followed him. They didn't just leave the boat, they left their boat and their father. These men are giving up their family name in essence. They've given up the business, their inheritance. They've given up just about everything. And now they have a new identity. And over the next three years, they're going to find out what it means to live like Jesus. They're going to listen. They're going to question. They're going to argue about who's the best. (laughs) They're going to sit at the feet of Jesus. And they're going to make an impact in the world. See, following Jesus brings us this new identity. The second reason we have to follow Jesus, though, is that Jesus calls those who are willing to look beyond their own circumstance, to see beyond just themselves. Now, I have to preface this. This is a, an illustration for the sake of the illustration. It's not so that I can rub it into Tigers fans again. I just, it's, it's there. So it's a Collingwood illustration because I follow Collingwood. I'm a Collingwood supporter. I love Collingwood. And it was good to watch on Thursday night. But I love the team and I'm passionate about Collingwood. I've always followed Collingwood. My grandparents followed Collingwood. My parents followed Collingwood. I'm a Collingwood person through and through. It'll never, ever change. But would I quit my job, my career? Would I give up my family um, to go on the road with the Collingwood football team and follow the Collingwood football team everywhere, being at all the team meetings, seeing all the trainings, sitting on the bench with them? Would I do that? Uh, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I would. (laughs) No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I I won't. Don't worry, I won't. (laughs) Because at the end of the day, what do I have to show for it? I I know a few players. That'd be great. I'm not going to get on the field. I'm not. I'm not going to be able to play apart from selfish ambition, there's not going to give me anything or I'm not going to gain anything. There's no bigger picture at work here if I go and be part of that team. Simon, Peter, Andrew and James had no selfish ambition when they dropped their nets and went to see Jesus and went and followed Jesus. They didn't think, oh, what a great opportunity. If we follow this guy, you know what? We may... Get our names in the limelight later on down the track. Maybe I'm going to benefit some way out of this. Jesus doesn't offer them a big contract with some super perks. He doesn't say, "We'll get you the best chariot. You're going to have this amazing chariot." He didn't offer that sort of stuff. In fact, all Jesus alluded to as a benefit was this abstract statement: "Follow me, and I will make you fish for people." We read that statement and think, "Great, we understand it. That our our net's going to be cast wide uh, for Jesus." We're going to evangelize Christ. We're going to help be a part of saving the world, helping people to understand Jesus. But do you think that's what they were thinking? Do you think that's really what they were thinking? Let's drop our nets, and let's start casting our nets over people. Fishing for people is not overly practical, Jesus. But Jesus, in this statement, offers them something that cannot practically be offered. It's offering them hope. Saying, you drop your nets... And I'm going to show you that the world's going to be different. I'm going to show you that, bit by bit, people by people, we're going to see a change in this world that is going to have our eyes set on, on God. If you follow me, you don't need to fish anymore, but we're going to do something that makes a difference, not just now, not just in 10 years' time, not in 100, but for the rest of eternity. You're going to be part of something bigger, and we're the product of that. We're the product of these men dropping their nets, aren't we? 2,000 years later, we sit in that position. And Jesus says, you've got a new identity and you can be part of something bigger. You're part of something that is kingdom. You're part of the change of this kingdom for God right here, right now. How exciting is that? Are you willing to follow? The third reason for us to follow Jesus is because it brings about a change in the follower. But that comes with a sacrifice. We follow Jesus because it changes us, but there's sacrifice involved. As you follow Jesus, expect to be changed. Expect to be transformed. That's what's good about our testimonies, isn't it? We hear each other's testimonies. If we share the story about about your walk with Christ, you're going to see how Jesus has changed you from one space to another. Regardless of if you became a Christian when you were five or six and, or if you became a Christian as a teenager or as an adult, your life will somehow have been changed. And along the journey of faith, your life continues to be changed, doesn't it? We don't stand still in faith. That's why our testimonies are important. And if others see that difference and that testimony, they're going to know, want to know why as well. So in our story, we hear the first four disciples, they had to make this sacrifice. They had to drop everything, leave the boat and follow Jesus. Leave their father and follow Jesus. Following was immediate, but it came with the sacrifice. Jesus says, we're not to be like the rich man who, who wanted to follow Jesus in Luke chapter 18. The rich man was willing to follow Jesus, but willing to on his own terms. I've kept all your commandments. I've done what you want. I've been good. Surely, surely this is enough to inherit eternal life. And Jesus says, well, if you want to inherit eternal life, sell everything you have. Make a sacrifice. Give it to the poor. Flip the balance of equality in society, and you'll be on your way. Yet this rich man, he looked at it, He waited up. He said, I can't do that. The sacrifice was too great. Yet the four disciples in our reading this morning, they made this massive sacrifice. They left everything immediately. Pens down, let's get outside and follow me. It was a sacrifice to follow Jesus. Did it mean they never saw their family again? Well, probably not. Did it, ever, did it mean they were never going to be the same again? Of course. They weren't going to be doing the same safe thing that they'd been doing. They were now following. They made that sacrifice. And I wonder if we make these sacrifices to follow Jesus, I wonder if it's made a change in our lives as we've done that. Do you make sacrifices to follow Jesus? Or do we play it the same as the rich young ruler who is not willing to give it all up for, for Christ? Do we hold on to the things that we deem as important or are we willing to give them out for Jesus? I want you to think in this moment, what's the one thing that you hold Titus to? I think I shared it in one of my first sermons that my guitar was probably that thing. Well, I have to repent of that. I have to say it. it's got to be Solari. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I first... Uh, First dated Solari, and Solari and I dated just before Christmas, started dating before Christmas. And uh, Solari went on the Youth Dimension Coffee Shops, I know quite a few people from here have probably been on Youth Dimension Coffee Shops, uh, Summer Missions, and she went out to a place called Loxport on the 90 Mile Beach, beautiful space, and um, I didn't know anything about these, these coffee shops. So we, my mate and I decided we'd take the three and a half, four hour drive to go and visit and see Solari inevitably we visited and fell in love with the idea of being in a community making an impact so we decided to go the following year i did anyway but to go you had to do some training and used to mention offered this training and it was a week-long training and so i said all right well i'll go and do the training and i remember the person speaking to us and sharing some scripture it was really good until they issued a challenge to me or to the group that was there they said what's the one thing that you do not want to give up in your life that stage, it was Solari, it wasn't my guitar. And my mind immediately went to Solari. Uh, we're about a year into our relationship, it was going really well. I had this idea that I was batting way above my average in this as well. I'm like, I don't want to give that up. I don't want to give that up. So in my mind, I said, Solari is the thing that I don't want to give up. And after the pause that they'd given us to think about it, the person up front said something that made my heart sink. He said, now give that thing... In my case a person over to God and allow God to speak to you and tell you if this is something that you should give up to follow me. Because that's what the disciples did. And I'm sure, I'm sure they did not give up their livelihood to follow, they expect to do that, but they did. I'm sure it hurt them at times to do it, but they did it. And I'm sure it didn't provide them with security and certainty of future, but they did it. So there I am, my heart sort of pounding, going, I don't want to do this, God. I don't want to be vulnerable enough before you that you would take the thing that I love most in the world away from me. And in that moment, I realised that following Jesus was about actually following Jesus. About being vulnerable enough to allow Jesus to take the centre point in my life and to replace anything that was in there. Anything that I wouldn't be able to give up. And in that moment, I gave Solari, I gave my relationship over to God. And I felt at that moment an assurance. An assurance that God wasn't nasty, that God wasn't vicious or vindictive, that God didn't want our relationship to end so I can go on a summer mission. Instead, I realized that by giving up the thing that I held most to, making the sacrifice to give it across to God, actually enhanced my relationship with God but it also grew my love for Solari even deeper. I had to give her up to become deeper in love with God and her. You know, the disciples, they sacrificed everything. But through it, you see their devotion to God grow all along that journey to an extent where they were willing to die for it. They ended up becoming fishers of men, women and children, And they started the biggest movement the world has ever seen. Our fourth and final reason for following Jesus is that we make a sacrifice to draw us closer to God. At the start of Lent, I sent an email out. If you got it, um, you would have seen it. It was a blog to uh, consider what you might take up as a Lenten practice. Um, I wonder if you took up anything. I know there was a few people that have. Tarquin took up acts of taquins my 11 year old he took up acts of generosity as his lenten practice each day he was to do a good deed to someone as an act of generosity now we haven't kept tabs on that specifically but through this lenten period we will see him all of a sudden just doing something like picking up plates that were um, that we never asked him to do then clearing the table without us asking he wouldn't say, I'm doing this as my generosity act for Lenten practice. He didn't say anything like that. He just did it. He took up these little bits. We'd see him every now and again just doing something like, "Tuck, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just, just sweeping the floor because it needs to be done. Okay, fantastic. Good on you, mate. I started to realize these are his acts of worship, his Lenten acts. He's making sacrifice that he may grow in understanding of of who God is and grow closer to God. My hope that is, as his heart is opening up to what God's doing in his body, that, that he'll draw that close to God, that these will be everyday occurrences, not just a Lenten act. So we've looked at these first followers of Jesus who made sacrifices to draw closer to God. They're told they're going to become fishers of people And as we read through the rest of the book of Matthew and into Acts and into the letters, we start to see Jesus' words take shape in the early church. These people started to learn what it meant to be followers of Jesus, to give up, to sacrifice, to do something that allowed them to get closer and allowed others to draw near to Jesus as well. They learned through Jesus' words and actions and ultimately through his death. They learned who Jesus was. They made the sacrifice to follow Jesus. It drew them closer to him, and it drew others to him as well. So I wonder if you've made that sacrifice to follow Jesus. I wonder if you're continuing to make that sacrifice, that it impacts your walk with God. So Jesus extends that invitation to you this morning. Follow him. Follow him. Jesus offers you a new identity in him. Jesus offers you a chance to see and work beyond your own circumstance. Jesus invites a life change and Jesus draws us close as we make the sacrifices to do his work. So I challenge you this morning, as we journey towards the cross, as we listen to the words of Jesus, I want you to think about what are you giving up to follow Jesus? What are you giving to God? Not necessarily giving up. What are you giving to God that brings you closer to Jesus? Are you willing to do as Jesus does, has asked? Follow me. Let's pray. Loving God, we pray this morning that we may be people who follow you with a purpose. That, as we've seen the disciples do, They weren't looking for it. They weren't seeking Jesus out. But when Jesus said, come follow me, they dropped everything. May we be people who remain close to you that we may follow you without question. So, loving God, this morning, may we reassess where we are with you. May we go home and think about what that looks like for us this week. And we may, take, may we take action. If there's something we need to give up in order to follow you more, if there's something we need to give across to you, God, that we may follow you in a deeper way, may we be willing to do that, vulnerable enough to do that in your presence. Be with us, Lord, as we follow. Amen.